As you can see on the screen today, we'll be looking at 2 Corinthians, uh, starting from chapter 2, verse 14, and chapter 3. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession, and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a vow covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." This is the word of the Lord. Well, I wonder if you've ever been to or imagine uh, selling all of their different food arrangements and you get a whiff of something. You get a whiff of a smell and you think, that's the smell that I want to eat. And you, then you then go to each of the stores and sort of, sub, uh, sort of quite inconspicuously sort of just whiffed in the aroma and see, is that the aroma of what I was longing for? Until you go to each stall and then you find each stall and then you say, that's the aroma and that's what I wanted to eat and so you, you purchase it. 
Uh, for me, at the Vic Markets, there was lots of smoke coming from all these amazing, amazing barbecues of various different nationalities. And it was like, that's, there's a smell within all of that smoke that is the, the smell of something that I want to eat. Anyway, it turns out it was the African barbecue. And I don't know what was in the African barbecue. You probably all want to eat African barbecue now. I don't know what it was, but when I tasted the African barbecue, that was the aroma, the smell that I had been longing for and was after. And we ate the beef and it was delightful. And so Paul uses this image of a sweet aroma. Now, before you think we're all turning into Anglo-Catholics, I want to just light this incense. I don't know whether this will work. I didn't test this out yesterday. But in the days of Paul and in the days of Jesus, incense was a common part of religious practice. It was something that happened quite often. And when Paul wrote this, all of the people who were Jewish would have understood what Paul's talking about, the sweet aroma. And perhaps, perhaps for them, this sweet aroma that Paul's talking about would have reminded them of sacrifice and the temple worship, would have taken them back to that. And they would have heard this image of the sweet aroma and they would have understood what Paul's getting at. But we also need to remember who Paul's writing this to. And Paul's writing it to the church in Corinth. And so we need to understand what's going on in Corinth that might lead us to understand a little bit more about this letter. And so Paul is saying this to the church in Corinth. And we need to remember that in Corinth, there are a lot of people who were either in the Roman army or were Roman officials, and therefore Paul uses this image of a procession to talk to them about the victory that we have in Christ. And he talks to them about this victory parade. And the Romans would often have these victory parades, and it'd be a long, long line of people coming through the street. And the first people in the parade were actually the captured soldiers and some captured prisoners. And unfortunately, at the end of the parade, they were put to death before all the people as a last sort of sign of the victory that had been won at the previous battle. Then there would be this group of people carrying incense and they were kind of uh, carrying the incense to, to say how significant this was, but also that that aroma would go through the streets so that people would come out to see what this aroma, this sweet aroma was. And then there would be the grand uh, general who had won and commanded the troops in the victory. And then finally behind that would actually be the, the soldiers who had accomplished the victory. And so Paul is saying this image of the sweet aroma and the triumphant parade because he knows that the church in Corinth would understand that image. So we are left begging the question, who are the characters in that parade that Paul's talking about? Well, it's quite clear that Paul is saying, well, the, the chief character in this is actually Jesus. In chapter 2, verse 14, he says, it's Christ who leads the triumphant parade, which sp spreads the sweet fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. The very reason for the parade is 
Jesus in the same way that the hero of the Roman army parade is the general, even though it was the troops who did all the fighting, it's the general who takes the credit for the victory. And here Paul is saying, and he's using that image and saying, it's like that with Jesus. Without the success of Jesus, what Jesus accomplishes on the death, of, on the cross and new life through the resurrection, there would be no parade. There would be no sweet aroma. And so then we might think, well, where does the church fit? Where, does the, where, do, where do Christians fit in this triumphant parade? Well, some of us might think, well, we're the sort of soldiers at the back. We're the people who've put our faith and trust in the person who led us to victory, which is Jesus, and therefore we're the people who come up the back and we have the sense of victory, not from what we did, but through Jesus. And so when we smell the incense, just like the troops who saw the incense as a sign of the victory, we smell the sweet aroma of Christ and we see that as life. We see that as our sense of victory. And perhaps Paul is also saying that Christians are the incense bearers. We're the ones who carry the cauldrons in which the incense is burnt. We're the ones who carry this incense that is meant to draw people into the parade, draw people into the victory. But the victory and the incense is not ours, we're just the carriers of it. And we'll get to it a little bit later, but Paul reminds us that the Spirit is the sweet aroma that draws people into Christ, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But we have to be careful of taking every part of this parade. Paul's just, Paul's just using it as a tool. We shouldn't really kind of think, well, actually, those who reject Christ are like the people who are going to, uh, who, who are the captives and the people who are put to death at the end. But Paul is saying, just like in this parade, there are some who smell this sweet aroma and they know that it's the sure sign of their future death. There are some people who hear the sweet aroma of Jesus and they see it as death. Because it challenges, not because they're going to literally be put to death like the, the, the Roman army did, but because it challenges and it means that they have to put to death their own self-governance, to put their faith and trust in Jesus. They have to put to death their selfish living in order to follow Jesus. They need to be self-sacrificing like Jesus rather than put their self-trust and try to gather status for themselves. And as we've shared over the last couple of weeks, the Corinthians loved status. And so for some, the challenge of Christ was to go to death. And I think this is the image that Paul uses here, this image of life and death, the sweet aroma of Jesus, which we think is life, and we think everybody else should see as life. Some people see it as death because it challenges their uh, self-governing attitudes. Well, I think this week, many of us had the opportunity to witness the Golby family going through a very challenging time and the very challenging time for them as they journey with Greg towards his uh, entrance into eternal life. And perhaps for some of us who witnessed their walk by faith, it was a wonderful witness to witness the victory of Christ over suffering and death as Greg and Sharon put their faith and trust in Jesus. 
in the midst of their challenges, they turned to Christ. They saw a deeper relationship with Christ available to them through their suffering. And many of us have been blessed by the fact that in their last days, as Greg felt closer and closer to Christ, Greg volunteered to pray for us on our behalf to Christ. And it was such a wonderful privilege to be able to pass on all of your prayers to Greg in those last few days. So as we see people walk to Christ in a, in a crisis, unfortunately we also see people walk away from Christ in a crisis. I have no idea why some people in the midst of their suffering point to their suffering and use it to prove their atheist worldview. They point to their suffering and say, this is the reason there is no God. And yet other people point to their suffering and say, this is the proof of the victory that Christ has won for us on the cross and through his resurrection. And perhaps that's why Paul uh, uses this parade of the Romans. Within the same parade, this smell of incense, which has no uh, significance in and of itself, for some they smell that and that's the sign of future death. And for some who were victorious on the battlefield, that's the smell that reminds them this is a victory parade. And perhaps the Romans used incense in this parade so that later on, when those troops went back into battle, the general could say, remember the sweet smell of victory. Remember that as you go into battle. And we still have that saying today, the sweet smell of victory. In our world, we see people whose whole goal in life is happiness, is comfort, is success, is achievement. And in their minds, anything that robs them of that is considered evil, is considered death, is considered something to be abhorrent and to be avoided at all costs. And yet we see all the time those who put their faith in trust in Jesus, when they see their suffering, they see it as an opportunity to identify with Christ on the cross. The cross, which was an act of torture and death, becomes a sign and witness of victory. And so when we go through heartache, when we go through challenges, we don't see it as leading to death like some do, but we see it as our way to joy, to peace and love through hardship rather than the avoidance of hardship. And so then Paul introduces this idea of Moses. And let's be honest, those who were Jewish and heard Paul might be challenged by Paul's use of Moses here. They would have seen Moses as one of the great heroes of the Israelite faith. They would have seen everything that Moses did as being perfect and leading to great uh, witness of what it means to be following Yahweh. And yet Paul talks here as Moses and he aligns it with the law and points the law of ancient Israel as the way to death. Paul says here that the law was written on stone and the stone lead to death. He's talking about the Ten Commandments here. Paul describes this as the old covenant and he sees Jesus as bringing the new covenant. And so in many ways, Paul's not actually having a go at Moses. He's not having a go at the Old Testament 
covenant. He's not, having a, he's not trying to be disrespectful to it, but he's actually saying the whole purpose of the Old Testament covenant and the whole purpose of the, 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 the Ten Commandments was to show people that their behavior was never good enough, that their behavior was never able to achieve what God expected from God's people. But the purpose of the Old Testament law was to show people that they weren't good enough, that their way of behaving always led to death. And therefore, the solution to death could only come through the promised Messiah. And so for the whole of the Old Testament, people could never behave in a way that was good enough for God. They needed the Old Testament promise of a promised Messiah. And so Jesus comes along as that promised Messiah. And therefore, the way of death, this sense of behavior that was never good enough, has changed to a covenant of life through Christ. And Paul says, the way that leads to death is a reminder that you couldn't do it on your own. And the message of Jesus is life through resurrection. And in many ways, Paul is saying that Jesus brings life because he makes up the gap of where our behavior falls short and the expectations of God. It's actually Christ who stands in that gap and makes a way for us to be in right relationship. It's like, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter whether you have actually been really, really good at keeping God's laws and you're really close but you're just a little bit away or it doesn't matter whether you've been a long, long way from keeping God's laws because it's all sufficient through Christ. God's grace is sufficient to fill that gap for everybody. It doesn't matter how bad someone is or how bad they think, Christ's grace is sufficient through the cross and therefore everybody, if they put their faith and trust in Christ, is able to access life. And I wonder whether sometimes we haven't made the shift in our presentation of the gospel to this gospel presentation of life. Too many people, in my experience anyway, have had this gospel presentation that focuses on our sin and focuses on how much we or the individual needs to be fully aware of how sinful they are in order to then understand how grace is sufficient. But I think too many people have heard this presentation of sin, but haven't heard the presentation of grace. They've heard a presentation of a gospel that leads to death, rather than a gospel that leads to life. Too many people have heard this presentation of sinfulness in need of a saviour, and have said, no thanks, I don't want anything to do with that. And Paul is saying, we need a gospel presentation that reminds people that God loves them, and God's grace through Christ is sufficient. We need Christians bringing a sweet aroma of God's love into the world. And in the years ahead, we need to refocus our gospel presentation away from a sinfulness towards the sweet aroma of the love of Christ. We need to shift away from our need for a saviour, which in many ways is the Old Testament way, to the Christ that is available to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul here talks about the Holy Spirit as that source of life. Remember, those who knew Jesus could come to a relationship with Jesus through seeing him. But those, like the church in Corinth, who didn't eventually see Jesus, didn't actually see Jesus, have to be drawn into a relationship with Jesus through the movement of the Holy Spirit. 
It's the Holy Spirit that becomes this source of freedom. In chapter 3 and verse 6, Paul says, the letter kills, which is the Old Testament law, but the Spirit gives life. It's the Holy Spirit that draws us into the life that's available through Jesus. In Romans, in chapter 8, verse 2, Paul says, the Spirit of life sets me free from the law of sin and death. It's the Holy Spirit that comes to us and sets us free from the power of sin. Therefore, potentially, we actually don't need so much to be reminded of our sin, but we need to be reminded of how we've been set free from the power of sin by Christ that comes to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, people would argue about this, but I feel as though the sense of this whole chapter 2 and chapter 3 is leading to a climax in these little verses that Paul splatters throughout this whole letter. And in this little discourse, it seems like it's leading up to verse 17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It is the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that reminds us of the freedom that we have in Jesus. It's, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that becomes that sweet aroma that draws us into the parade, draws us into the triumphant procession. And then we come to the triumphant procession and we say, well, who's the victor here? And we see that it's Jesus and we come to understand more of who Jesus is. It's the Holy Spirit living and working in us that draws us deeper into a relationship with our victorious King. And David read that, that sense of, uh, from Revelation, that sense of King of kings and Lord of lords. We come to an understanding of what that means and the significance of that through the sweet aroma of the Holy Spirit that works in and through us and draws us into a deeper relationship with Christ. We might think of ourselves once we pick up that aroma and we see Jesus as a victorious king, that we then pick up the incense bowl and carry that incense bowl out into our world so that the sweet aroma of Christ may pervade even further into the world. So why do some people walk away from God in a time of suffering? And why do others walk to God? It's because some people are more open to the leading of the Holy Spirit than others. Some people have been consumed by this self-help ideology that they have to help themselves. And the Holy Spirit is there to remind you that you do not have to help yourself. Everybody is available to the free gift of grace through Jesus. And it's Jesus, as Paul mentioned last week, that comforts us in our time of suffering. So I suppose the challenge to each of us who put our faith in trust in Jesus is are we the image bearers of that sweet aroma of Christ when we go out into our world. As we go out into our sphere of influence, do people pick up something from us that begs the question of why do they believe what they believe? Do people pick up something from us that makes them ask, I wonder why they believe what they believe? And part of the challenge for us is to see the presence of the Holy Spirit at work in our life. If we're meant to be the sweet aroma or carrying the sweet aroma of Christ, we need to be seeing how the Holy Spirit is working in and through us. Can we get a sense of the Holy Spirit working in our sphere of influence? Do we get a sense of the Holy Spirit working in and through us as we go about our work week, as we go about our relationship with our friends, as we go about our relationship with our family? Are, are we 
aware of how the Holy Spirit is calling us to be a witness to Christ. I'll be honest and say, I don't always get that sense of where the Holy Spirit is at work in the world. I don't always even get the sense of how the Holy Spirit is working in and through me. And sometimes it just seems like, uh, you know, you, you try your best, but you're never really quite sure whether it's working or not. You're never quite sure whether, as you share the gospel with people, it, it makes an impact. But this week I had the amazing privilege of, of being with Greg and, and praying for him. And um, I, I, I had the, the prayer book and did the, the ministries uh, of the dying with Greg, the, the anointing with oil and, and, and giving Greg communion. And there's a prayer that you pray in that little liturgy, praying for the dying. And I remember it, was such, it felt like such an amazing privilege, but as I started praying that prayer, it's like I felt this overwhelming heat, this overwhelming sense of burning, as though I was on fire without uh, burning up. And I knew in that moment that the presence of the Holy Spirit was there, that the Holy Spirit was guiding and protecting Greg in his last days. And the minute, the second I finished the prayer, that whole burning feeling went. I don't get that sense of the power of the Holy Spirit often. But when we do witness that, when you do witness that, when you do see the Holy Spirit at work in your life, you need to be attuned to it in order that you can see that as the sweet aroma of Christ working in amongst the people that you're with in the room at that time. So perhaps we only turn to the Holy Spirit and we only turn to these moments of freedom when we go through a crisis. Maybe, maybe, maybe you have a greater sense of the Holy Spirit at your, in your life and, you, and you, 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 you turn to the Holy Spirit all of the time. But many of us don't see the true freedom that's available to us every single day in Christ. Many of us don't live our lives day to day, minute by minute, with an absolute overwhelming understanding of God's love for us. And maybe that's what we saw in Greg and Sharon in these last few days. People who did live with a minute by minute understanding of the overwhelming presence of God's love. So I, I, I often think and pray about revival, not just so that we can have Christendom come back or somehow we can turn to being a Christian culture once again, but I pray about revival because when I read and hear about revivals, and I've spoken with some of you about the history of revivals, when revival happens, people become overwhelmingly aware of the freedom that they have in Christ. And our self-help, self-determining culture that we live in is an overwhelming burden and shackle around so many people. And I just want them to be free of that. So my hope and prayer is that we would see revival of people coming to understand them, they have the freedom that they have in Christ through the sweet aroma of the presence of the Holy Spirit that's available to them. And my hope and prayer is that they would find that freedom here in this place and through us. So let me pray for us. Gracious God, we thank you that your Spirit is at work in our world and that the Spirit points us to freedom that we have through your Son, Jesus. We thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, into our world. And we pray that we will see more people come to know you through Christ, our Lord. Amen.